Jim and uh, Kelsey uh, with their migraines and uh, Tim you got surgery coming up or not yes Tobar's asked for prayer for Annika, their daughter. Uh, pray, Lord, that God would uh, become an important part of their life uh, unto salvation. Carlos has got the eye surgery tomorrow. And then what, the following week? Again? Yeah. Okay. And Donna uh, uh, Perry, was there an update? Pray for Donna Perry as she faces surgery as well. Again, uh, pray for the Pickin family, uh, that God would do a marvelous work in their lives. Um, is there an update on Wade? Is he feeling any better? So he's got pneumonia, and uh, so he's struggling through at school. And then uh, I believe it was um, uh, Rhonda who mentioned um, a pastor named Earl in the situation. Dale, do you have any updates on that? No. Pastor just lost his wife as to what the Lord wants him to do. He's in Montana. So, anything else to, to add to this list? Yeah, she has the low immunity, so anything to trip her up. To pray for Tricia.
deacon will be baptized, so that's a praise. And this little one that we prayed for that was born uh, early, is, uh, is, is she still incubated? Or is she... So the, the little one is, is responding, and we thank God for that. That's a praise. So let's take these things before our Lord in prayer and uh, make the requests and give the praises that he deserves. Lord God, we humbly come before you as sinful people, undeserving to stand in your presence for all of our actions are, are as filthy rags. And, and yet, Lord, uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who left the glories of heaven to trod the sinful world, who came here to die on our behalf, to carry our sins to his shoulders on the cross of Calvary. Lord God, the righteousness has been imparted unto us. So we stand boldly before you, not in of ourselves, but in him. So Lord, we, we make these prayer requests and, and we give you praise for all that you have done. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters before you. Uh, Lord, you've heard the requests. Uh, they are lengthy. You've heard the praises. Uh, you're worthy of them. So, Lord God, you have heard the, uh, these even before they uh, left our lips. You knew our desires, our heart's desires. And so, Lord, we ask that you answer these prayer requests uh, in such a way that it would bring glory to your name. And that, Lord, you would do it for our good. So, with the prayer requests, range from the little ones uh, recovering uh, from the premature birth to those who are in beds of affliction, those who are preparing for surgery. Uh, Lord, uh, the list is long, but uh, you're aware of each individual, for you have counted the hairs upon our head. You know the uh, burdens of our heart, that, Lord, your spirit dwells with us, and we pray, Lord, that uh, you, he would minister to us on this, your Sabbath day. Pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing to uh, work through the book of Judges, and uh, we're coming towards the end of Samson's uh, judgeship. Uh, we're not going to quite get to the very end today, but almost. And uh, so we're going to pick up there. And what I'd like to do is uh, maybe a little review and then a little foreshadowing of what we're going to cover today. So if my button pusher will push the button. We start up here with our Samson's widow. And we know that he went down to Timnah where he married uh, a Philistine. And at that point he made a... Um, a riddle, uh, and the basis of the riddle was kind of a bet on uh, for clothing, and uh, his new bride had betrayed him and gave the answer to the riddle to uh, the other Philistines, and uh, so Samson left here, traveled all the way down to Ashkelon, where he killed 30 men, their clothes, 
and then return back for a 30 mile distance that you traveled to do that. Then you went back up here. And then it says that um, you left that area and came down to Lehi, where he uh, used the jawbone of the donkey to kill a thousand Philistines and uh, establish his judgeship there. And then they will pick up, we find him back out here to uh, Gaza. where he uh, goes into a prostitute and uh, there was an attempt to kill him here um, by the men of the city and in the middle of the night uh, Samson gets up and tears down the uh, doors of the gates of the city and I don't know why but he traveled from here and he goes 40 miles doors of the city, and if you've got a grandfather like I did, you know, I went to school 10 miles, and it was uphill both ways. Well, in, in uh, Samson's uh, condition here, it didn't go to the top of the mountain where he deposited the gates of the city. <laughs> and then after that, he ends up here in the Valley of Sorka, and this is where he So he's been all over the place. And if you can see up here is Jerusalem, so that kind of gives you a point of reference as to what's, uh, what's happening and where it's happening now. So uh, a little bit of review, a little bit of foretaste of what we're going to cover today. And uh, so we'll pick up that again. Um, we're coming to the end of Samson's life. And like Israel in general, uh, Samson went chasing after the Philistine culture. So he's a representation of, of Israel itself, of what they're doing as well. And this is all symbolized by his pursuit of, of the Philistine women. And again, the results of chasing after that culture, chasing after that, these women, uh, will be devastating to him just as it would be devastating to the nation of Israel if they tried to incorporate the Philistine culture. So before we look at these stories in detail, um, what I'd like to do is to talk a little bit about the structure and again, uh, the literary parallelisms between chapter 16 on the one hand and then chapters 14 and 15 on the other. So I'm going to talk here in broad terms and then We'll talk a little bit more about the parallels. So if you want to turn to Judges chapter 16, we're going to pick up there eventually. Judges chapter 16. So we're, we're comparing chapters 14, 15, and 16, and, and then when you compare them, there's some direct parallels between the two. 
Uh, in both stories, women want to be told a secret. And in both cases, Samson tells uh, the secret to the woman uh, because of the, uh, what we would call nagging, uh, a nice term would be harassing him uh, for the uh, answers to that, those secrets. So we see that with the uh, riddle, answer to the riddle, and then we see that with Delilah about the strength, of, uh, the source of his strength. Both, men, uh, both women used love as a bait, you know, you don't love me because you won't tell me. And the Kinnamite woman uh, works on Samson for seven days, and Delilah works on him every day that they're together. The local Philistines want the bride to entice Samson, and they use the same word with Delilah, and that word is patai. Um, in persuading Delilah to entice him as well. We use the same word to uh, trick or entice uh, Samson into revealing the secret. In both stories, the Philistines need the assistance of a third party. Uh, they needed help in capturing Samson. Their attempt to do so alone uh, fails. So the men of Judah bind up Samson in the first story and Delilah binds up Samson in the second story. So the Philistines use those third parties to help uh, capture Samson. This kind of establishes a parallel between the Judaites who bound up uh, Samson and Delilah. Um, they were both betrayers of God's anointed person, God's anointed judge. The Judaites and Delilah each use new ropes in their attempt to bind up Samson. In the, what we call the flax cycle, flax is a plant that is used to um, usually make cloth or linen, um, but here it's also used to, to make ropes. Um, if you would go to Ace Hardware today and buy rope, uh, most of the rope you would buy today would be hemp, which is a, another plant that uh, is used for making rope. Um, but in our society today, we use plastic a lot for ropes as well. So. But anyhow, the, <clears throat> the idea here is that the ropes are made from flax, and they would bind his arms. And uh, he was able to break them as if they were burned with fire. In the second cycle, we see uh, virtually the same image appearing, Samson snaps the bowstring as the tau, or toe, um, and that toe, T-O-W, is, is a process, step in the process of making the flax. And if you put it close to the fire, it ignites really quickly. So it says in uh, uh, verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 9, that uh, he touches it, snaps it like it was touching fire. Twice the Judaites said that they were, uh, have come to give Samson into their hands, the Philistines, and twice the Philistines say that Dagon has given Samson into their hands. So we see a parallel uh, in those two chapters here. 
And after being captured by the Philistines in the first and the second story, um, we see that Samson then, uh, through the aid of, of God and the Spirit, um, kills the Philistines. The first one was a thousand Philistines with the jawbone, and the second one would be the destruction of the temple with uh, all the Philistines uh, inside the temple when it comes down. So at the end of both stories, we see Samson facing death. The first one, after he had killed the thousand, uh, he was um, so tired, thirsty, uh, he thought he was going to die. And, uh, and in, <clears throat> in both situations, uh, the first story and the second story, he calls on God, and the first time he asks God to save him, and God provides him the water from the rock, but the second time he faces death, he calls God upon him to, uh, to take him or let him die. So <clears throat> we see God, we see Samson calling on God as he approaches uh, human, uh, human death with two uh, different prayers. And God answers both prayers. Now, I didn't figure all this out myself. I do want to give credit to an essay written by Cheryl Zoom um, for this comparison, so uh, relied on her writing in this, but um, you can go through scripture and, and verify this comparison. This parallelism, parallelism highlights for us several parts of the message of Samson that he had. Uh, first, there is a contrast uh, in the two stories. Uh, Samson was showing Israel what the Philistines' women, and moreover, what their culture was truly like. And this sets up uh, the second story. So in the first one, he's preaching, this is what's going to happen if you get involved in the culture. This, they're, they're cheats, uh, they are dishonest, and it's uh, what you can expect if you get in the culture. The second story, in verse chapter 16 that we're about to look at, uh, here we see Samson ignoring his own message. We see Samson ignoring his own sermon to the, uh, to the Israelites. Delilah acts just like Samson's wife. Uh, yet, he ignores the message that uh, he had given to the uh, Israelites about the culture of the Philistines. Um, so, he, he's ignoring his own words here. Uh, Samson's a little bit egotistical here. He thinks he's in control. Uh, he can handle the situation. Um, so he thought. And he plays around with his God-given talent, his strength. Uh, but in the end, he falls. He already fell, really, when you read in chapter 16 that he loved Delilah. And that was the beginning of his fall. So we see here Samson, who's probably in his 40s. He probably became a judge in his 20s. He judged for 20 years. So he's probably in his 40s. Um, and he chose to forget uh, everything that he knew in his 20s, thinking that he could handle it. Next, the parallelism uh, identifies the Judaites 
with Delilah. Again, they are both third parties used to betray Samson. Both give him over to, kill, <coughs> to be killed with the Philistines. Both bind him with new ropes, which he breaks. We know here that, that as we read through chapter 16 that um, it, the text does not say that Delilah was a Philistine. Um, maybe she was a traitor from Judah. But, um, we're not sure. But on the other hand, maybe she was a Philistine woman, in which case uh, the parallelism causes us to see the Judaites acting just like the Philistines represented by Delilah. Both of them were betraying Samson. At any rate, the parallelism puts the Judaites into the same category as Delilah. Eventually, to their great shame. And lastly, uh, both cycles move towards a theological message. Uh, <clears throat> we see this in both uh, stories. Samson, in his time of need, calls out to Yahweh, and Yahweh answers Samson's prayer. The strong man cannot deliver himself. Though it appears that uh, things were well in hand with the Philistines uh, when, when Samson killed a thousand of them back in 1515, and also it looked like he had things well in hand uh, when he destroyed the temple in chapter 16. But in the end, Samson's life and Samson's death were in the hands of Yahweh and Yahweh alone. So thus, uh, both stories bring us uh, to the end of the fact uh, that humans are weak. We can't save ourselves. And God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And he's the one that we need to flee to for our salvation. So before we start at 16.1, uh, uh, any thoughts, comments on the review and looking at the parallelism of these chapters? If not, I'll jump right in here then. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw the harlot there and went into her. When it was told to the uh, people of Gaza, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, At the morning light, then we will kill him. Get uh, our button. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gates and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. 
I'm saying that's about 40 miles away. The first verse of this chapter uh, has the same form as we've seen earlier, back in Judges 2.17 and chapter 8 and verse 27. The formula is, uh, now Israel played the harlot with some false gods. And so we see uh, that Samson is, is fulfilling that, har uh, that uh, formula here in verse 1. That formula kind of runs like this, as, as we are well aware of the book of Judges. Uh, at the end of each deliverance that uh, God provides, we read that the judges uh, judged Israel for X number of years and then died. And then Israel went chasing after some other gods. So we see that kind of happening here with Samson. Samson delivers Israel. And the next text says that he judged for 20 years. And the next time we read that, <coughs> read is that Samson went whoring after a Philistine prostitute. So very similar to what repeating the, the uh, pattern of, of Israel. We see it exemplified or pictured here in the life of Samson. Samson as the anointed judge is a picture of the nation of Israel as a whole, and his failures then are the failures of the nation as well. There's, uh, again, an interesting literary parallel between these, this verse and the first verse of chapter 14. 14.1 uh, says, And Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah. And 16.1 says, that Samson went to Gaza and he saw there a woman, a prostitute. In the first story, Samson acted honestly, and he had pure motives in his heart, and he had intention to marry that woman. Again, a, a representation of Israel seeking out uh, to be part of the Philistine culture. <coughs> the second episode in 16.1, we see here that his intentions were not honorable. They were not respectable. And they ended in a different outcome. So the men of Gaza did not think that Samson could get out through the gates at night since they were locked. Uh, the gates were often locked to protect the people inside the city from attack. So basically, they were off guard, they went to sleep. But the city gates did not stop Samson. <clears throat> and however, uh, by removing them a great distance, Samson showed his uh, great ability, showed his great strength um, in uh, removing them. But um, he left the city vulnerable. He left the city open for conquest by doing that. But sadly, uh, unlike the judges before him, Samson was not interested in conquering Gaza. He was not interested in destroying it. He was basically just wanting to play around with it. He was playing with fire. God had given him the strength, and we already saw that he killed a thousand Philistines, 
So it was very possible that he could have uh, taken over the city, but he chose not to. He was not interested in doing that. Verse 4. <clears throat> After this, he came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistine came to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now let me just pause here. Um, it says the lords of the Philistine. I failed to show you on the map at the beginning, but <clears throat> there was no king of the Philistines. Uh, there was five major cities, uh, Ashkelon, uh, Gaza, um, and I forget the other ones offhand, but each of them had a, a lord over that city. And so there was five major cities. All of them were uh, trade centers. And these five lords had come together here to talk uh, to Delilah. And they said that we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So that's five times that. So that's 5,500 pieces of silver that uh, they're offering uh, to Delilah. Judas only got 30. The story of Samson and Delilah seem to be connected to the story of the prostitute at Gaza. Because verse 4 uses this connecting statement, after this, after this. We see here Samson going into the prostitute, which is the beginning of his fall, and he didn't correct it, he didn't uh, seek repentance, he continued in the fall, by then going and pursuing after uh, Delilah. So he continues in his destructive downhill course. We're not uh, expressly told that Delilah was a Philistine woman, uh, though that has usually been assumed. Uh, we might also guess that because of the context that she might also have been a professional prostitute, but commentators are divided on these um, assumptions. So I'm not going to make a declaration one way or the other. If she was an Israelite by birth, then Delilah was certainly a Philistine in her heart. By identifying herself with God's enemies, she became uh, to be counted among those enemies. So spiritually speaking, uh, we could say that Delilah was a Philistine indeed. Moreover, even if she was not a prostitute by profession, uh, her acceptance of the money from the Philistines certainly puts, uh, puts her in that same category. The five lords of the Philistines uh, prevailed upon her by offering her again 5,500 pieces of silver and begging her to betray uh, Samson. And in the passage, they use the word afflict him, uh, which is kind of a strange word from what I understand. Uh, 
in this context. It's used three different times in verse 5, 6, and 19. It is a term that is usually used to express the experience of people under oppression, such as Israel um, was afflicted in Egypt. The use of this term here brings out Samson's identification with Israel and then Philistine's identification with Egypt. They want to afflict him, oppress him. So verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and by what means you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Verse 9, Now she had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to them, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string toe snaps when it is touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. Now please tell me by what means you have been bound. You may be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me tightly with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes, bound him with them, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. For the men were lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me by what means you may be bound. And he said to her, Well, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web, and she fastened it with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled out his pin, of the loom and the web. <coughs> so we see here that Delilah tried uh, and failed three different times um, to entrap Samson, find out where his strength lies. And each time that um, she did this, she had men hidden in another room. But they never really showed because uh, if they had, then Samson would know that uh, that would be a sense of betrayal. So um, he viewed it as a game that they were playing. And so she kind of played along. If this is a game, you know, wake up, Samson, they're upon you. It was also part of the Philistine religion is a belief in magic. And so a lot of the Philistines assumed this powerful man um, would probably some kind of possess magically these powers. And so every time he mentions 
a way of uh, binding himself, they figure that's the answer to the magic that um, he possesses. So in effect, Samson is mocking their belief of, in magic. He recommends fresh undried rope cords, uh, never used ropes, and binding his hair in a loom. And each time she tries these, <coughs> he breaks free, showing that stupidity of the magic that they believed in. <coughs> For Samson, this is all just a game. But also, in the process, we see Samson uh, falling, failing, um, and compromising with the culture. He's playing with fire here uh, when he's dealing with Delilah. So I guess you could say the message here for Israel is that no magic does not exist, and you have nothing to fear with that regard, but you must fear compromise. Involvement in playing around with evil people will drag you down drag you down until you fall totally like Samson did. That's the lesson uh, the nation of Israel can get from this part of Samson's life. You may get away with it uh, for a little while, playing with fire for a little while, but you're going to get burnt. There always seems to be men working in another place uh, waiting to destroy you. So do not compromise with the culture. Verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me three times and have not told me where your great strength is. And it came about that she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was impatient to the point of death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said her, to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like other men. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all this was from his heart, she sent and called to the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, and she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And he said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him and 
gouged his eyes out and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with a bronze chain and he was grinding uh, in the prison. So for you guys who enjoy Bible trivia pursuit, one of the questions is, who cuts off his hair? It wasn't Delilah. It was a man that she had brought in to do this. Remember that Samson's wife had worn him down until she told he told her the riddle. And so we see here Delilah now wears him down by pestering him daily. And uh, so he reveals a much more important secret to her. Samson should have remembered, but he didn't, the earlier incidents uh, with this first wife and how that led to betrayal. Uh, he understood it back then, but he rejects it now. Basically, he was blinded by lust, and he ignored the danger signals that he should have been aware of. It says here that she annoyed him to death. This is not uh, just hyperbole or exaggeration. Proverbs 2, uh, 16 says, tells that the adulterous woman flatters with her words, but her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. So there's truth in, in what he was saying here. So the, again, the lesson for Israel is that involvement with the Philistine culture can only lead to death. When Samson said, my strength will leave me, in verse 17, he referred to the spirit of God. After his head was shaved, uh, we read in verse 20, the Lord had departed from him. Samson knew where his strength came from. It was not magic, and it was not his hair. He knew that it was a personal gift from the Lord. God had graciously not withdrawn it, yet, in spite of his sin, in spite of his uh, uh, compromise with the culture, But there was no magical tie between Samson's strength and his hair. But there was a spiritual connection in that God gives strength to those who are dedicated to him. In Samson's case, his dedicated head was a sign of his separation with God, to God. In fact, Samson was already in sin and God probably was about ready to pull his strength anyways. But it's interesting here. God chose to wait and do it at the same time that Samson's head was shaved. So that the outward sign would correspond with the inward reality. By this time, the five lords have given up their hopes of defeating Samson. Delilah, anxious for the money, sends for them to come. One more time, and once Samson is asleep, which is also a picture of his spiritual state, 
She has his head shaved and begins to afflict him. Again, we see here she is showing the true nature of the culture of the Philistines. With this, uh, the secret of the Philistines' domination of Israel uh, is not because they were stronger than Israel, uh, for they were not. Uh, we saw that with uh, Samson killing a thousand by himself. It was not because of Israel's sin. It was because of Israel's sin. That's why they dominated. And God used the Philistines uh, to teach Israel a lesson. So I believe it's clear in this passage that Philistines, their warriors, their magic, were utterly powerless. The only reason that they uh, were able to rule over God's people is that God's people were faithless. They had rejected God. They had gone after other gods. The Philistines blinded Samson so that if his strength returned, he still would not be able to fight. And you can tell his blindness also serves as an outward sign of his spiritual condition. Samson, like Israel, has been blinded by sin. He's put to work uh, grinding in the mill. And this is seen as a sign of victory uh, for the Philistine god Dagon. Uh, the Philistine god Dagon is a god of grain and fertility. And they assume that this their god has uh, provided this enemy and brought him into their hands. Earlier in Judges, uh, we've seen this principle exercised before in that if you like the gods of the nations you're serving, then you will undoubtedly enjoy being dominated by the culture of those nations. We've seen this at earlier times in the book of Judges. The same thing is true here. Does Samson and Israel enjoy grinding with Delilah and the Philistines? Well then, let them be put to work grinding for them. Also, uh, when Samson is grinding for the Philistines, we see that their agricultural prosperity are actually built upon slave labor. They have captured Israel, put them as slaves, uh, harvesting their crops. So Samson grinding is a picture of Israel's condition. It's not Dagon, but the Lord who gives prosperity to the Philistines. And the only reason God gives prosperity to the Philistines is because he's punishing his people by making them slaves to the Philistines. Verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. <clears throat> I found this kind of interesting. It seems obvious that if you shave your hair off, it's going to grow back. 
So I kind of wondered why the Spirit of the Lord uh, laid it upon the author of Judges to put that verse in there. Um, do we really need to be told that your hair grows back? It could be that at this point of Samson's humiliation, that he begins his repentance and asks for God for forgiveness. And perhaps at this time he returns to the Lord. At the same time, God gives him back his miraculous strength. And the sign of that return is the growing of his hair. And again, this is also a picture of Israel. If they will repent, if they will humble themselves under the grinding oppression of the Philistines, then God will gradually build them back up to a position of strength. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistine assembled to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, and they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands. Even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. So we see here the Philistines openly flaunting Israel's God, Yahweh, and definitely provoking him the one true living God. They made a big mistake when they say, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And the Lord will now act to avenge his honor, and he shall have a confrontation, and we will see who the true and living God really is. We will see Dagon humiliated, and this is very similar to what we see in 1 Samuel 5.2 when, when they take the Ark of the Covenant into the temple before the tower, statue of Dagon. And the next morning we find the statue falling over before the Ark. We see this great humiliation of Dagon again where he's bowing down before the God of Israel, Yahweh. And that's what we're going to see here with the destruction of this temple, a humiliation of this God. So the question is, does Israel adopt the Philistine point of view? Does Israel really think because of Dagon is stronger that they are in this misery, this oppression? I think the same question might be asked of the modern American Christians. Do they think that's because of humanism that is stronger, that we are oppressed as a church? I'm not so sure. If the church is oppressed in America today, it's because the church has been faithless to the Holy God. It's not the fault of the Dagons and the Philistines or the humanists or the deep state with whom we have to deal with. It's the Lord God with whom we must wrestle. When our ways please him, the tyrants will be destroyed before us. But sometimes God will bring evil men into our lives in order to draw us 
back to repentance, in order to draw us back to seek the face of God in our deliverance. As much as I enjoy politics, our problem in this country as Christians is not a political one. And the solution that we seek is not a political solution. We learn something encouraging about Samson in these last verses. When the Philistines say, they admit that they have, he has been the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. That's a tremendous testimony when you think about it. Samson, in his judgeship, in, with God's strength, uh, judged them for 20 years. So the modern church today needs to humbly ask for forgiveness of our faithlessness towards Yahweh. We need to stand boldly against the Dagons and the Philistines of today. And we need not compromise with the culture or the world. This past week I heard a podcast where the host said, and this isn't anything against you, Pastor, but the <clears throat> He says, what is wrong with the church today is that we have very few pastors in jail. And I thought to myself, wow, what's going on here? And he went on to say that the American church today, like Israel and like Samson, are willing to compromise with the culture. If you want gay marriage, we can accommodate you. If you want transgender in the pulpit, we can accommodate you. If you want worldly entertainment in your worship, we can accommodate you. Just compromising with the world and, and the culture. Then I got to thinking about this idea of pastors in jail. And I thought about Paul and Silas and Peter, John the Baptist, John Bunyan, John Wycliffe, many more. And in particular, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ spent time in jail because they refused to bend to the compromise of the Word of God. They all stood firm, holding tightly to that Word. And may God give us the strength to do so ourselves. Any uh, thoughts, comments, questions as we close? Lord God, you have instructed us from your word. You have shown us examples of uh, 
uh, what a godly man is and what a godly man should not do. Uh, Lord, you have given us examples of standing firm in the word and obeying it and, and not compromising with the world and our culture around us. And Lord God, we pray that you would uh, be with us in the after service. Abide with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.